What did you do when you first woke up this morning? Did you put on a pot of coffee or did you grab a paper from the front porch? Did you take a walk or did you hop right in the shower? Whatever you did, I'll bet what you did this morning is very similar, if not the exact same, to what you do every morning. Why? Well, because we are creatures of habit, aren't we? Research has revealed that up to 40% of what we do on a given day is habitual. In other words, up to 40% of what we do, we don't even think about. We don't even have to think about it because it's our brain's way of saving energy. Let me give you an example. For those of you who've traveled to be here in person this morning, think about how you got here. Was it any different than the way you would normally get here? No. And how many red lights did you hit? I'll bet you couldn't remember them if you tried. Because your brain is so wired to stop at red lights, you don't even have to think about it. It has become habit. Or at least I hope so. (laughs) You know, Josh asked earlier, what what gives us fear? What causes us to be afraid? And And I didn't shout it out, but as we think about habit and red lights, boy, riding in a car with Josh sparks fear in my heart, I'll tell you. Now, the power of habit, as Charles Duhigg would write um, in his book, uh, the power of habit has specific and significant implications for our spiritual lives. If it's true that 40% of what we do is by habit, that we don't even think about it, that has significant implications. You see, our mission as a church, our mission for being here this morning is to invite everybody into a Christ-centered life in God's family. And that Jesus-centered life, that life grounded in the good news of the gospel, is a life that includes spiritual disciplines, that includes sacred rhythms, or as we'll call them through this series, that life grounded in Jesus knows a number of different holy habits. And we want to think about the holy habits through which God reforms us and reshapes us into his image. I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I see someone who is not yet complete, who has not yet arrived, who is not yet exactly what God had in mind when he knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm still growing into it. Anybody else? Four of us. Fantastic. I'm good. So the rest of y'all just, you know, take it easy. Today's a day of rest. Get some, get some sleep if you like there in the pew. It's, Talk to just the four of us. So this morning we're beginning with one of the best known, but the least practiced, holy habits. It is mentioned in the scripture more than adultery and murder and stealing and coveting combined. And I'm convinced that if we practiced this holy habit, there would be a lot less of those other things. It is rather famously included in the Ten Commandments. We read... Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Notice, all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner, residing in your towns. Why? Well, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested 
on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed it, blessed that Sabbath day, and made it holy. This fourth commandment serves as a kind of bridge between the first three commandments and then commandments five through ten. This love of God we read about in the first three and the love of one another is joined together by the practice of Sabbath, the holy habit of Sabbath. It's the most detailed commandment. The word means very simply to stop, to stop your work and put your feet up. Now, we read from Exodus chapter 20 the first time we hear those Ten Commandments, but it's repeated later, a generation later, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And there we see some slight differences from Deuteronomy. We, we notice a further explanation. Remember, Moses tells this next generation, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that your Lord, your God, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So notice, not only is Sabbath connected with creation, with God's resting on the seventh day, now in Exodus, in, in Deuteronomy rather, Sabbath is now connected with liberation. Sabbath reminds us not only that God created and that God saw it was good, 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 very good, but Sabbath also reminds us of God pulling, drawing his people out of slavery in Egypt drawing them out of slavery to their oppressors. And the same can be true for us, though we may not have known the horror that is slavery. We can look back on our previous life of sin that God has rescued us from through Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so, Sabbath reminds us not only of God's good creation, but God's good rescue. God's not only His creation, but His liberation. In other words, we are no longer defined by what we do or how hard we work. Why? Because we belong to God now. And this God is different than the Egyptian gods. This God created the weekend. This is true. There are a number of other creation accounts, other creation stories about how the world came to be. And in every one of them, humanity is created to work on behalf of the gods. To do things for the gods that they don't want to do. And they do not get a day off. None of those ancient creation stories had a day off. Similarly to the Ten Commandments. Other ancient cultures had lists of do's and do nots. Not a single one says, why don't you put your feet up for a day? See, in Deuteronomy, a generation later, instead of reading, remember the Sabbath, we read, observe the Sabbath. Don't just remember it observe it. Don't just recall it. Practice it. Make it a holy habit. To this day, these two passages, both remember and observe, are symbolized every Friday evening in Orthodox Jewish homes. They will extinguish two different candles as a reminder that thus starts the Sabbath. Now, the giving of the Ten Commandments was not the first time God's people heard about the Sabbath as if it were a brand new rule they had to follow all of a sudden. My kids know how that goes. Wait, why do we have to do that? Because I said so. <laughs> Any parents use that one before? No, the Sabbath is not something they learned about for the first time in the Ten Commandments. It is deeply ingrained with the history of God's people. Various cultures have tried to do away with a seven-day work week and experienced disastrous consequences. There is something sacred about six days on and one day off. 
The Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that was first communicated to Adam and Eve. And remember, Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, and on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, the day of rest, that was Adam and Eve's first day. That's their first experience of who this God is. They did not start with work. They started with rest. Get this. Before Edison's 1879 invention of the light bulb, the average person slept 11 hours. That's what we did before Netflix. (laughs) Now, more than half of Americans report trouble sleeping at all. I count myself among them. Ira Glass, who is the host of the radio show This American Life, once explained it this way. He said, I have trouble sleeping. I have trouble sleeping because it goes hand in hand with my fear of death. Each night, closing my eyes, he said, it's like a small taste of the big sleep. Because closing our eyes at night requires us to trust that though we sleep, God is still at work. That though we rest, God is still in charge. That though we are not conscious to fix all the problems of the world, as if we could, God is still at work. God is still on the job. And so, if you're at all like me, we love our light bulbs, don't we? We love our streaming services when we can't quite sleep. They allow us to set our own schedule. They allow us to do what we want. But experiments with technology have never quite worked out for us. Now, I'm no Luddite, but think about it. Um, In the 1960s, there was expert testimony given to a Senate subcommittee on time management. This expert testimony concluded that because of advances in technology, people would need to cut back on how many hours a week they worked. Or they would have to cut back on how many weeks a year they worked. Or we would have to start retiring much earlier. This Senate subcommittee was convinced Advances in technology were going to make it so that we could live like the Jetsons. We wouldn't have to do anything at all. Let me ask an obvious question. Are we really working less since the Kennedy administration? On average, it's actually four weeks more. And billions of, year, billions of days every year of vacation are left behind because we can't quite seem to get away from work. You see... We may remember the idea of a Sabbath, but we do not practice it. We do not observe it. We've got one lone candle there sitting on our tables, remembering what it once was, but boy, it's so difficult for us to live into. In the decades since the 1960s, when we had this great idea of time management and how we're just going to have all kinds of leisure, there have been a number of different uh, ways of trying to save time. Uh, We've had shampoo and conditioner put into one bottle, right? Big time saver that was. We've got pizza chains that promise they'll get it to us in 30 minutes or less, or it's free. Didn't tell you how good it would be. Eh. There was even a Detroit hospital once who promised emergency room patients that they would be seen within 20 minutes or their treatment was free. And sales at that Detroit hospital went through the roof. Everybody came there for all of their needs. Perhaps the highlight of these time-saving attempts was in 2007 when the iPhone was released. 
into the world by St. Steve Jobs, hallowed be his name. <laughs> Think of all the time it would save. But get this, the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. In 76 different sessions, over two and a half hours every day. I see some people looking at each other and nudging with an elbow. I saw that. See, that's the average. Millennials use their phone twice as much. Now, this isn't just about busyness, but think about it for a moment. Does our busyness reveal our inability to live within limits? Does our busyness reveal our difficulty in admitting that we are not God? It's like a recent Sprint commercial. It claimed defiantly, I want, no, I have the right to be unlimited. See, that's not just a a tagline to sell more minutes or more data. That's the same sort of thing that drove Adam and Eve to find a better apple. I want to be unlimited. I don't want to go to sleep at night. I want to stay up. I have more to do. I have more to accomplish. Wendell Berry once wondered aloud whether the next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. And let me confess my sin here. I deeply struggle with Sabbath. There is a great irony, perhaps even hypocrisy, that I'm speaking about Sabbath to you today. I always have a hard time getting all my work done in six days and resting on the seventh. I, too, struggle to live within limits. I, too, want to be unlimited. Now, some of you may recall, in early March 2020, we began a series on Sabbath through the season of Lent. We called that series 24-6. That was March 1st. And you may remember what occurred less than two weeks later. For some of us, the season we've just been through in the past 16 months has invited further opportunities for Sabbath rest. For some of us, we were able to quietly quarantine within our homes, spending extended times reading and and in prayer, visiting with family. For others of us, however, we not only brought our work home, we lost any boundary between the two. Our office invaded our house, and many of us are struggling now more than ever to find that balance again. Oh, how we need this holy habit. The story's been told of a a corporate executive uh, on vacation, walking across a tropical beach, yelling into his cell phone at someone on the other end. He hangs up with a snarl and then waits for a return call. Upon seeing a local fisherman there on the beach, dozing in the shade of his boat, pulled up, the executive asks him, why aren't you out fishing? It's a beautiful day. There's plenty to catch. Why are you just lying around? Well, because I caught enough this morning, the man replies. But if you went back out this afternoon, you'd have three times as many fish to sell. Don't you see what that would mean? The fisherman shook his head. Well, you could take all that extra money and and you could buy a motorboat instead of pulling on those oars. And then after a couple years, maybe you could buy another one. Start building your own fleet. Maybe you could build your own processing plant right over there. Maybe you could get an export business and a fleet of trucks to ship directly to the big city. And then, the fisherman asked, 
Well, after you've built your business up, you could retire. You could spend your days just gazing out into the beautiful ocean and dozing in the sun. <laughs> the executive's phone rang, and the fisherman questioned, what do you think I'm doing now? <laughs> I want to ask you who you identify with more in that story. But in all of our plans for progress and all of our attempts at advancement, have we lost this spiritual discipline? Have we lost this holy habit of Sabbath? By the first century, the one prohibition on the Sabbath that we not work had been developed into 39 different categories. Thus, all the questions for Jesus about what his disciples do or about what he will do Sabbath was the issue in first century. It would be like the issues of sexuality in ours or racial injustice. Thus, all the questions to Jesus, and I love how he simplifies it. I almost get tears in my eyes, how directly and poignantly, and yet beautifully he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you, not you for it. Sabbath was made for us to remember the God who created us is the one who took a day off. The God who liberated us called us to be different than the others who work all week. We no longer serve those Egyptian taskmasters. This God invites us to rest in him, to close our eyes each little sleep we have, and to trust that he's in control. Sabbath reminds us that we are not what we possess, we are not what we purchase, we are not what we produce. We can lie back in the shade of our boats now, not just in the decades to come. The ancient rabbis would sum it up this way. They said, when the Israelites kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept them. And the same can be true for us. If we lean into this spiritual discipline, this sacred rhythm, if we lean into this holy habit, if we keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath will keep us. Working another 60-hour week will not do it. Staying up late, binging another series will not do it. Online shopping for whatever will not do it. If this isn't yet a holy habit for you, I want to invite you to engage it this week. Now, it's possible that some of you will be able to say, hey, well, today's Sunday, it's a Sabbath, I'm going to Sabbath today, I'm not going to do any work, I'm going to put my feet up and enjoy. Well, uh, that's great, run with it. For others of us, it's going to need to take a little bit of planning. Even those of us who are retired have found ourselves busier than we've ever been, serving in various capacities. But I want to invite you to make this a spiritual discipline this week, a sacred rhythm of trusting in God, trusting that we are his creation, trusting that we have been liberated from those ancient gods of the Egyptians, that we are not machines, that we are creatures living a life created by our, by our creator. So um, before all the fireworks this evening, I want to invite you to take stock of your week to plan ahead for Sabbath, okay? Um, how will you complete all your week's work in just six days? It may take a pen and some paper and some scheduling and some conversations with your spouse or your family or your coworkers, maybe your boss. 
How will you complete all your week's work in those six days? What rhythms will that require for you? And as you prepare for a day of Sabbath rest, think about three different things. First, obviously, your work. What kind of barrier or boundary can be placed between you and your work? Especially if you're still working from home. There might be a home office or a corner of your house where you should not go on a day of Sabbath. Maybe uh, an auto email autoresponder needs to be put on. Some of us receive emails throughout the week and are expected to reply that day, whether we're working or not. Does yard work count for your Sabbath? Some people really enjoy it. Others, not so much. I would encourage you not even to make your bed on the Sabbath personally, but I'll leave that up to you. (laughs) But think about it, really. What do they say? If you want to have a successful day, if you want to get a lot done, what's the first thing you do? You get out of bed and you make it, right? Not on Sabbath. Sabbath isn't about what we produce. It's, It's not about what we possess. It's not about what we purchase. So first, think about your work. Secondly, think about what you buy and sell. If we are out buying and selling, it may not be work, but it creates work for someone else. And one of the great gifts of these holy habits, especially Sabbath, is that it reorients our understanding of what we really need. What's more, recall what God says in his Ten Commandments. He says, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work, nor you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor anyone residing in your towns. In other words, You don't do any work and allow other people to not do work. Third and last, we've got work and then buying and selling. And and lastly, there are more kinds of work than physical work. There is mental and emotional work, isn't there? There is worry and anxiety, especially after the last 16 months we've had. How could conversations that prompt any sort of mental stress be taken care of before the Sabbath or pushed until after. So, three things to exclude. Work, buying and selling, worry and anxiety. Then, three things to include for your Sabbath this week. First, rest for your body. Feel free to take a nap. Take a walk on the beach. Maybe a bubble bath. Make sure you enjoy your favorite foods. You cannot diet on the Sabbath. Amen? Sabbath is a day of feasting, not fasting. So first, find some rest for your body. Secondly, replenishment for your spirit. What are the activities that you long to do that bring you joy, that you can't do during those first six days? That's what the Sabbath is for. And lastly, spend some time in restoration for your soul. Spend some time in worship, in quiet reflection with God meditating in prayer and on the scriptures. So, don't work, don't buy or sell, don't worry your anxiety, but include rest for your body, replenishment for your spirit, and restoration for your soul. Our Jewish neighbors would tell us that the great gift of the Sabbath, those who keep it weekly, would say that the great gift is the Sabbath not only reorients one day, it reorients the whole week. That you have three days to look forward to the Sabbath and three days to look back on it. And that before long, as we lean into this holy habit, as we lean into this sacred rhythm, this spiritual discipline, 
we might find that all of time is reoriented around God's time. As we come to the table this morning, may we remember whose table this is. We are welcomed here by Jesus, the one who said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This Jesus often took his disciples away from the crowds, away from the busyness, in order to find rest. You remember those stories. They would come back from missionary journeys. Jesus, Jesus, you've got to listen to everything we've done. And he said, great, let's get away. This table belongs to the one who was unlimited, but took on the limits of humanity for us. This table belongs to the one who even fell asleep in a boat in the middle of the storm. Why? Because he trusted in God, but also because he was exhausted like us. At this table, may we pause to remember, to recognize, and to recall that this Jesus succumbed to sleep. All those nightly little sleeps, and Jesus also succumbed to that big sleep. On Friday evening, the beginning of the Sabbath, he went into the ground, dead and buried, and rested until Easter Sunday morning. May we have that kind of trust in God, that we can trust him to be in control of the world, that we might rest in him.